And Tina and I were walking along, chatting with each other, not really paying attention to what was around us. And suddenly, we hear this rattle, and Tina screams, this high-pitched scream, jumps 10 feet into the air, and I follow suit. And there was a footprint of his footfall, and he had stepped, I don't know, three inches away from the head of the rattlesnake before he leaped away. Yeah, and that one was pretty... Yeah, upset. that one went into immediate strike mode, and I think that's probably the better of the pictures that I have from snakes. But And then, of course, we all started snapping pictures. <laughs> Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guests are Nomad and Rattles, known off-trail as Tyler and Becca Goodman. They completed their Triple Crown this summer as a couple, but it was not a straight path. Injury knocked them off the AT in 2018, and snow changed their Nobo into a Sobo on the CDT this summer, but also gave them an opportunity to finish their AT miles and take a Southwest road trip. So in this episode, we talk about staying flexible with your plans, hiking as a couple, how small the hiking community truly is, and why it's always about the people. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Nomad and Rattles. Hi, how's it going? It's good. How's it going for you guys? It is pretty great. Welcome back to the Pacific Northwest, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's been a little while. Yeah, it looked like it was quite a wild ride this year. It absolutely was. It we, was really scary. <laughs> yeah, your your plans don't always go as expected was kind of the takeaway from this summer. But it worked out in the end, so... How was that for you guys? It was pretty stressful. I think you go into a through hike with a really clear image of what you want to happen. And we should know by now that you <laughs> need to be flexible, but you know. So we went into this through hike with a really strong expectation of what success looks for looks like for us and it became really stressful really quickly when it was apparent that we weren't going to be able to do what we had planned to do originally. So yeah, we had anticipated um, hiking a continuous footpath north um, and we had debated with a couple of other friends who were also hiking as to whether we should hike north or south this year. Um, this year was definitely <laughs> in favor of the south bounder, yeah. but um, despite our talking through that, I guess, stubbornness won in the end. And we had hiked every other trail uh, going northbound. So we thought we'd do the same. And basically, Colorado had a snowpack of 700 plus percent, <laughs> even in in May and in June. So we had to kind of go back to the drawing board there and figure out how we were going to handle that. Yep. And we ended up flipping. So we went up to Glacier National Park and hiked south, meeting up with our 
footpath at the border of um, New Mexico and Colorado. With some time off in between there to go let the snow settle down. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you guys, you guys held on to that Nobo hike as long as you could before you decided to divert and, and get the AT done. And you had your little intermission, which looked beautiful, by the way. Yeah, it Thank was really you. enjoyable. We, uh, we had always kind of had that on the back burner because um, the summer prior, we had attempted a, a through hike of the AT going northbound. We started very late um, and we were trying to do it very quickly. And in the end, an injury won and we were 245 miles short of Katahdin. Which and was super, super disappointing and very, very frustrating. <laughs> but um, so we had that on the back burner that at some point this summer, we were going to go back and finish up those remaining miles. We didn't know if it was going to be, you know, waiting out a fire closure, waiting out snow, you know, whatever the case was going to be. But we just always had that on the back burner. And then once we hit Colorado and we actually went about 75 miles into Colorado through the snow, realizing that it wasn't through hiking anymore. It was full on mountaineering and melting snow for water and it was very, very slow going, and that's not how we wanted our hike to play out. So we thought it was a good time to first take a two-week road trip <laughs> to the um, kind of desert southwest and hit all the national parks and stuff through Utah. And then we came back and then hiked those 75 miles and then still weren't having it. So then we went to Maine, finished the last 245 miles to Katahdin and then got <laughs> got some closure out of that and then uh, flew to Montana. So we were all over the place. Yeah. Did completing those 244 miles feel like closure or did it feel like a separate hike? And even though you have now got your triple crown, there are some things that you need to still discuss with the AT? No, we, it felt like closure to me. Okay. So we, we have walked every, step of the Appalachian Trail we just had to split it up between two years so it it was a relief to go back this year and finish that last 250 miles yeah for me too I think because she was the one that that got injured and going into trying to fast pack the AT we basically made it to the first Andover Maine um, and then right after, I don't know how familiar you are with the AT, but around the Hoosick Notch, it's kind of an infamous, like slowest mile on the AT sort of thing. Um, very scrambly, rocky. She took a, a series of falls, um, which eventually kind of knocked her out of the game. And so going into it, we knew that the only way we were going to not accomplish it was injury. And so I had, you know, mentally prepared for that possibility. And in all honesty, I thought if it would have been me over her <laughs> um, to get injured. And so, you know, being, being the partner kind of on the outside of that, looking in at, at how hard that was for her to go through and then seeing her accomplish that was a, a huge thing for both of us individually as hikers, but also like as a couple hiking. It was really emotional and we had made a decision before we even started through hiking that if one of us were to be injured or one of us was unable to complete a through hike for whatever reason, 
we would both stop together, even if the other partner were physically capable. And so that was kind of an important thing. And we never thought we'd have to think about that bargain, but we ended up, we ended up thinking about it when we didn't quite finish the AT. And and to set the stage for everybody who's listening, you guys are married and you have hiked all of these trails together, essentially. Correct. Correct. Yeah, so. we we hadn't even really backpacked before we were together. And it's kind of been something that we have gotten into together um, and learned, you know, over the years of trial and error, what worked and what didn't until the point where we built confidence. And we we're like, okay, well, maybe we can actually do one of these long trails and it's not such a pipe dream anymore. And then, yeah, we headed out on the PCT in 2015. And then uh, AT was mostly 2018, a little 2019. And then we just um, hiked the CDT this this summer. So we had been married for five years before we ever decided to do a through hike. So were you prepared for the togetherness that is a through hike? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, yeah, we're a good team. tell everyone we're still married so that's you know that's a something but I also think that uh both Becca and I Rattles and I have kind of a unique take on it and I've seen other couples do it very differently um where they're you know hiking with each other right behind each other in a line all day, every day. And if that's their thing, like, that's awesome. But I think we try to kind of simulate real life a little more. Like we aren't with each other 24 seven in regular life, you know, while we're working, like we're apart, we have our separate experiences throughout the day, and then we come together, or are together for parts of that day. And so we kind of treat our hiking similarly, we, if we want to hike together, and we're, you know, right with each other chatting about something awesome. If, you know, we need a little space to think about something or she's like super into an audio book and I'm into a podcast, we don't need to be right with each other all the time. And it kind of actually creates unique opportunities to, to chat with each other later about like what our individual experience was. Right. You can, you can have the experience that couples have coming home from work that day and saying, hey, this is what I did today. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's definitely been important for us to kind of develop that style. I think most of the couples that we've ever been around or hiked with on these long trails or, you know, anywhere else to tend to kind of stay right with each other. And that's just great for them, but not for us. (laughs) So we, we both have our independence and we love each other enough to give each other space if we need it and be with each other when we need it. And I guess it it should be said that, the majority of the time, you, Becca, are the one who is leading the charge. That is correct. <laughs> that, initially, that was by design, and now it's just because of ability. <laughs> Before, for, for the PCT, um, I, I initially was a stronger hiker than her. Um, that quickly changed, and I, and I think that me on the outside looking at that change for her was, was mental. I think it was just her realizing like, hey, I can do this. And and then her body kind of followed suit. Um, and so now she's one of the fastest hikers I know and also one of the shortest hikers I know. So I don't know how she does it. I'm a tiny human, that is true. Yeah, but I remember the moment. It was 
the first time, I think it was the very first day on the PCT. And it was the first time I'd hiked more than a 15 mile day or something like that. And uh, we hiked 20 miles. And in my brain, I was thinking, man, I just can't do this. I can't do it. I've never done it before. And then I did it. And then from then on, I was like, oh, well, (laughs) I can do that. I guess I can just do anything, which was kind of this really empowering moment for me. I'm not surprised because I I feel like that happens for a lot of people on the trail because they're pushing boundaries. Right. You, when you're hiking these long trails, you discover that your body is more capable of things than you ever thought it could be. You can hike faster for longer, further than you ever thought you were capable of. This year we did a 50 mile day, which I never thought I could do. Looking back three years ago, if I would have thought that I'd be doing a 50 mile day, I would have peed my pants or something because (laughs) I cannot imagine I could not have imagined doing that. But now I'm like, oh, I'm going to start running ultras. <laughs> oh, really? This is the next phase of your of your uh, adventure, huh? I mean, no, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. You know, you've kind of put it out there now. So <laughs> now, I, now I have to succeed in that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's been, you know, you would think that a through hike by itself is like the pinnacle of, you know, hiking or, um, you know, put, putting yourself out there. But I think for us, like the jump, like what's next from like that first through hike, mm-hmm. like if you would have asked me at the end of the PCT, I, I don't think I, I wouldn't have been confident that I would have done another long trail and what kind of built my confidence, what built my confidence to doing another long trail was pushing my ability. So one night on a whim, I signed us up to hike the Wonderland Trail. Uh, like I applied for the permits okay. and it was like the night before the deadline. And I was, <laughs> she was asleep already. And I was like, well, I had no idea this was no going idea this is happening. She was asleep. And I like get on there and I like quickly make this itinerary. And I was like, well, you know, we're like through hiking, hiking 30 plus miles a day. Like, why not do that on this trail? So. <laughs> Uh, the Wonderland Trail is like 93 miles, and I did a, a three-day itinerary. Just threw it out there, you know, into the universe, and I was like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And two weeks later, he comes to me and he's like, "Hey, I have something to tell you." And I go, "Well, is it bad?" And he said, "I I, I don't know. It kind of depends on what you think of as bad." And I said, "Well, just tell me." And he says. I signed us up to do the Wonderland Trail and we got a permit. And I said, well, that's not bad. That's amazing. And he says, in three days. <laughs> and so, so that was surprising. But it was it was really eye-opening for me. And I think that's like the PCT, you know, going along was great. And, and I was in it for the scenery and learned that, you know, the community and the people are awesome too but I, I didn't really feel like I had physically pushed my boundaries on the PCT per se. And, um, hiking the Wonderland trail, like day one was 36 miles and day two was like 25. And then our last day was like low thirties and just pushing the elevation gain, um, somewhere, I think around 40,000 feet of, of gain. 
like I was like, okay, I can do this. And that kind of set the stage for us even considering hiking the AT in the time frame that we set out to hike it. So the Wonderland Trail is kind of what gave you confidence in that? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And then when we both saw that we like, hey, we can do this, it wouldn't be hard to, you know, extend this into like a couple months, you know. So that's yeah. that gave us it definitely gave us an idea that we had the skills and abilities to do something really hard for an extended length of time. And the Wonderland Trail is is around Rainier, right? Yes. Correct. When you did the PCT, did you have any time frame or time estimates in your head that you wanted to get it done in, in a certain amount of time? Or were you, in that case, at least the first one, you were you were out there for as long as you were out there? I mean, we didn't have any time constraints, but we made this very detailed itinerary with expectations of what our daily mileage would be. And we guessed that we would do it in about five months or maybe five and a half months. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as you get on trail, you realize that you cannot manage every single second of your time. And we ended up finishing it in... I mean, yeah, I guess, but you also have to learn to be flexible. Yeah. And we ended up doing it more quickly than we thought we would. How were the Sierras that year? Um, so dry and was, snowless. Yeah, it was like great. record drought year. We summited <laughs> Mount Whitney on like May 30th. I didn't, uh, we had micro spikes, um, but didn't, didn't do use them. Didn't, I didn't hike with trekking poles that hike. So yeah, I summited uh, Whitney with just micro spikes and she had trekking poles and micro spikes, but yeah, it was very low. So obviously in 17 and this last year was a very different story, but so in a way where we had it easy. Right. It, it, it helps you with the speed. Oh yeah, definitely. There, there were very few blocks for us on the PCT. There were a couple of fire closures that we had to figure out how to manage. But other than that, we really had an easy PCT year. But also into that, like I mentioned before, I was in it for the scenery. Mm -hmm. And I also really liked fishing and photography. So in the Sierra, we had already decided that we were going to hike like nine to 12 miles a day. Even though at that point we had ramped up somewhere in the mid 20s, we were hiking consistently. So we kind of got left behind from a lot of people we were hiking with just because we had intentionally slowed down to spend time. And I would spend half a day, you know, fishing in these like beautiful lakes and um, we just kind of hang out and soaked it in as much as we could. Um, We had a really incredible year and I feel really privileged to have had that. Because, you know, there were there have been a few years now where it was just really difficult and really impassable. And people have a completely different experience. Yep. Yep. It it sounds like like the way you're describing it in two thousand fifteen, it sounds like an extended vacation. Yeah, we spent half a day yeah. fishing and <laughs> Yeah. It really was. It was and and I think we just had, you know, that mentality that we were there to just soak it in and enjoy it. And we didn't have to rush. If, you know, people around us were wanting to push and do 40s or 50s, we would just catch them in two days when we did 225s. 
so anyway, like we were very much on our own schedule for that. And, and I enjoyed that just being able to like soak in the experience more thoroughly. We also did it in a time when I think that there were less people out there than there have been in the past two or three years. So while there were a lot of really amazing people, the trail didn't feel crowded. So I think that that was really lucky for us as well. Yeah, the the PCT is awesome and we just wanted to enjoy it. I love the PCT. (laughs) The best one. It is the best one. So you're willing to, you're willing to, to claim your favorite baby, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. I also think there's a special I think that there's a special place in a person's heart with the first through hike that they've ever done. And the PCT was our first and so it sort of stays with us mm-hmm. as a really special thing. Whereas, you know, if someone else hiked the AT first, I think that that tends to be their favorite. Yeah. Whatever you hiked first, it seems like. Yeah. I've heard I've heard a couple of different people say when you go to your next trail, you're sort of chasing the feelings that you had from the first trail. And obviously each trail, it's so very different. Yeah. I, I don't know that that was our experience necessarily because it had been three years um, since we had hiked the, the PCT. And so it was less about the AT was less about recreating that experience. Um, And I think more about, okay, how far can we physically push ourselves to to do this trail? Um, we wanted to challenge our bodies at this point. So it was less about nostalgia and more about pushing ourselves physically. And like that, we very much had a, a timeline for the AT. Um, she was a teacher or is a teacher and have the summer off. And my job, I could take up to a three-month leave of absence. So we're like, okay, we got to do this in under three months. And so, um, like, we trained way more <laughs> intensely than we did for the PCT. And we, we were running stairs every day. We and... literally hit the ground running to be able to average. I think our overall average was, like, 28 miles a day. But we are consistently doing 30s and mid-30s on the AT, which um, really physically pushed us. It was really hard. How were your bodies holding up to that? Mine was doing great. My body always crushes on through hikes it gets really strong really quickly i don't know maybe it's just because women have more fat to burn generally in Mm -hmm. the first place and that all turns into muscle for me but my body in particular really does well on these long distance hikes i didn't notice um i i would say actually I, i felt stronger on the at than i did on the pct and toward the end of the pct i felt tired all the time it didn't matter how much I ate didn't matter how much rest I got I just felt like really drained at the end of the PCT like the last maybe two weeks of it he was really skinny he had lost a lot of weight um and then the AT I just like ramped up my food consumption so much and I think just starting out in better physical condition and knowing that it was like a finite amount of time like we're only here for two and a half months like I can just push through it it was much more of a mental than a physical um, feat for me personally. Yeah. With the with the calorie deficit that you were running, Tyler, <laughs> on the PCT specifically, was the issue for you just you you couldn't eat enough during the day 
or nothing was appetizing or like what was what was going on for you there? I think it was just a matter of not being able to eat enough or but also like in my mind not wanting to carry as much <laughs> yes. which is ridiculous. But because I'm already in in normal life, quote normal life, I uh I'm not a huge breakfast person, so you know, I generally eat I would be eating, you know, a couple hundred calories every hour or so. And I think that's how my body is best fueled is like, if I'm already feeling like I'm dragging, it's too late. (laughs) Like I have to kind of keep, you know, throwing coal on the fire sort of thing to just keep my body running. But it seemed like no matter what I did, no matter what I put in, it just wasn't enough for the PCT. So that could have been, you know, food selection, but I, I would estimate that I was eating upwards of five closer to 6,000 calories a day but I definitely upped that on the AT I think I was closer to seven and a half something like that and and I'm not a big person so that's like a lot of food for me to carry and eat yeah it, it makes you wonder how there can be enough hours in the day to consume all of that <laughs> yep <laughs> and then I, I don't know I just think the evolution of you know what we ate was just being more mindful of, you know, calorie ratio, weight to calorie ratio, and then not nothing extreme. Like I know people make full-on spreadsheets on that stuff, but, <laughs> um, you know, just being generally more aware of that, um, I think helped a lot. Yeah. Also, we had a lot more support on the later hikes. Uh, my family, they're, they're preppers in a good way. But my mom bought a freeze dryer and wanted to, for herself originally, but also (laughs) wanted to feed us. So she freeze dried and made all of our meals on the Appalachian Trail and the CDT. Or the dinners. Yeah, not all the meals, just all the dinners. So we had pretty amazing high caloric density food items. Like what were you guys eating? And were you stove or stoveless? We had a stove. Yeah, we had a stove. Well, we can kind of afford to do that because since we're a partnership, we split the weight of shared items, which helps make our pack weights lighter ultimately. So we can afford to have a stove, but we had meals like coconut chicken curry and (laughs) chicken noodle soup with dumplings. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of variety, which helps. I don't get how people are able to cold soak like ramen and beans every night. Oof. That's just like not in my realm of um, fun. <laughs> and so if they can do it, awesome. But like we, we have always carried a stove for all of our hikes. And, and I think it's kind of a waste though. Cause the only meal that we cook is dinner. It's uh, worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> in my mind, like if it's morale boosting for food, it doesn't matter what it weighs. And if it helps you get better sleep, it doesn't matter what it is. So that's my personal sort of motto. Philosophy. Yeah. Well, and and you're, at least on the AT, there was, you had a note that your motto were also uh, no calorie left behind. Yeah. Yeah, That's the thing we had picked up on the PCT. Okay. I think someone we were hiking with had eaten a Snickers bar and you know how like sometimes the, like, caramel sticks to the uh, wrapper 
mm-hmm. he was like very thoroughly looking the rapper and everyone <laughs> was making fun of him and he he said no calorie left behind and everyone started laughing and it kind of stuck with you know, the people we were around but there's this weird thing that happens when you're through hiking which is if you find a skittle or a sour patch kid or some item of food that is fallen on the ground from someone walking in front of you, you pick it up and you eat it. That's just what you do or it's what I do. And so that kind of became part of the no calorie left behind joke as well. I could totally see somebody leaving a trail of Skittles and Reese's pieces and whatever, like with like for ET. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On the CDT, someone in front of us for miles, they must have had a bag that had a hole in the bottom or something, but <laughs> left a trail of hot Cheetos for miles down the trail. And I wanted so desperately to pick up every single hot Cheeto, but I did not. Yeah, we started picking them up and then we we're like, oh my gosh, this is like the whole bag's worth. We can't do this. So Somebody's going to be seriously sad when they realize that they've only actually eaten about half of their bag of Cheetos. Right? Yeah. So what else were you guys, besides these great meals that, that your mom was supplying, what else were you guys eating out there? Breakfast essentials Key. have become kind of a staple, even outside of breakfast time. <laughs> we'd, we'd be in towns and we'd like clean out grocery aisles from breakfast essentials and just power them down throughout the day. Yeah. I like or to do a morning. Essentials. Oh, they're these little powdered drink mixes oh, okay. that are they come in chocolate, they come in vanilla, and they come in strawberry. strawberry. The strawberry ones are disgusting. Okay. The vanilla ones are okay. The chocolate ones are really your best bet. But you can mix a chocolate one with a vanilla one, and that's good. A lot of people doing these through hikes will do a morning cold soak of a breakfast essential, an instant coffee packet, and a packet of oatmeal. And that's oh kind of your <laughs> your more your morning rocket fuel. So that was a thing that I did. I loved it. It sounds disgusting, but it's super super energy filled, and it's great. Yeah. Um, so those, of course, Snickers and Sour Patch Kids. Those are staples. You kind of get sick of Snickers after a while and start branching out. Oh, I do. Gross. Um, Blocks of cheese are a good one. Yeah, really. When it ki- when it comes to food, we don't really care. We pack out avocados. Yep. Produce like tomatoes and um, salad. Yep. Anything that our body is craving, anything my body's craving, I will impulse buy at the grocery store. Uh, croissants. Oh, croissants are a really good one. Or um, on the AT. Our eyes were way bigger than our stomachs, and we ordered this, like, family order of garlic knots at a pizza place, <laughs> and we had probably, like, 30 of them left over after <laughs> we had eaten a lot of them, and so we packed those out, and just, like, bread in general is really good. On bread sale. is good. I would rather that have is bread than tortillas. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, we'd pack out lots of that sort of stuff. How long did it take for Hiker Hunger to hit you guys? Um, so on the PCT, Hiker Hunger happened about a month in for me. On the AT, Hiker Hunger never happened for me for whatever reason. And it didn't really happen for me on the CDT either. I would say on the AT, I actually kind of lost my appetite. And on the CDT, everything just sort of felt normal. Yeah, I 
I was kind of in a similar timeline for the PCT. The AT, mine kicked in maybe two weeks in. And then the CDT, I also felt very kind of normal and didn't feel like any sort of added need to eat more calories. And I think that's just a product of kind of knowing my body Mm -hmm. and knowing okay, like I might feel like eating something, but I'm going to order it and then eat like half of it. So I don't need that or I'll, I can just order it and pack it out and not eat it right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was weird too. On the PCT, I remember I ate an entire family-sized salad and a large pizza all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and on the CDT, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. Oh. I think it's probably because I was just eating better during the time that I was hiking, eating more calorically dense foods and taking care of my body a little better. Cause I knew we'd fine tuned our, our eating system at that point. And how was it then coming off trail? Um, and, and having to switch gears in terms of the amount of food you're eating and that kind of stuff and, and having so much more option. Yeah. So I guess, On every trail, with the exception of the CDT, I've kind of been in like recovery mode where I want to like achieve my baseline weight because I had lost weight. Um, I wanted to kind of build back up to that. And I'll say she's much more disciplined than I am when it comes (laughs) to that. And like coming home, like at the end of the summer or fall and having like Thanksgiving right around the corner doesn't help out a lot with (laughs) with (laughs) self-control. Um, but I think we do fairly well and we get back into our healthy habits and yeah, we, we like to eat healthy foods. We jump back into our sort of routines at home of running and hiking and, you know, staying active. So it's not problematic, um, but it does take a little bit of self-control. I know just regularly, like when I start eating a lot of food, I have to become much more conscious of, of what I'm doing which is hard because it's so good. Yeah. I I have found myself less so now, but in the first couple of weeks of being home, just like instinctively, like going to the chip aisle, like the candy (laughs) aisle in the grocery store. And I'll just like stand there for a couple minutes, like browsing at the options. And then I'll be like, (laughs) wait a minute, like I'm not going to eat this. Like I need to be buying real food. So yeah, that's, that's been kind of a funny realization that just out of habit, I go to those places. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, luckily, it's it's not a huge temptation for me. So you're window shopping, but you're able to stop at that. Yeah, or like, I'll notice like, hey, look at this new like variety of Sour Patch Kids or like, that'll, <laughs> that'll be cool on the next hike or like, kind of looking ahead at at some of the options, I guess. Yeah, what's new and delicious that we can eat on our next hike. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Planning ahead. Do you guys know what your next hike is? Um, Yeah, I think think we have aspirations to do the GDT. um, The Great Divide Trail. The Great Divide Trail. It pretty much meets up at the north end of the Continental Divide Trail and heads north through Canada. But we had a friend. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I literally just talked to someone who did the CDT and into the Great Divide Trail all in one summer. Was it Peanut? (laughs) Yeah, it was. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, we had a friend who did the GDT this year and said it was amazing. And I was talking about Peanut. Yeah, he's our friend. He's our very good friend. Yeah. I, I thought we that met was him. Seen, seen you guys referencing him. Yeah. We met him this year on the CDT. He is a cool kid. Yep, he's a good guy. He's a very wise kid. Oh, yeah. He is. He's, yeah, he has his head on straight for sure. And his family is awesome and supportive. And his mom came out and provided trail magic along the trail a couple times. And anyway, just good, good kid from a good family. I say kid, but he's not that I much know, younger. I'm 25. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can more get away vibe. with saying kid, but, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, he just it's has so... Go for it. He just has this happy-go-lucky vibe that makes him seem mm-hmm. like a kid all the time, which is amazing. He's embraced the best parts of being a child. Yep, yeah. exactly. Anyway, back back to your question. Yeah, Peanuts' experience definitely kind of inspired us. And uh, right after he'd finished, he so he we hiked with him out of Lordsburg, New Mexico, um, which is the essentially the first resupply town in New Mexico on the CDT. And it's kind of an interesting story, but he was rattles myself and another hiker named Ricky Bobby that we had started out with. We're all eating at this diner and peanut came in and I knew that he was starting the day after us. So he caught us like being a day behind <laughs> us. And um, he like went off, sat by himself and was just kind of like eating by himself. And I, I recognized who he was because I follow Gossamer gear and had that they had posted that he was attempting to do both trails so anyway it was very out of character for me but i i went over and sat at the table with him and started chatting to with him and asking him you know about how his trip was going so far like long story short we chat for probably an hour and then at the end of the conversation he's like hey like do you mind if i hike with you guys <laughs> and we're like no like that'd be awesome come on so uh we ended up hiking all of new mexico with him and then when we left to do our road trip he continued north through colorado on a lower like alternate but anyway so we, we've spent a lot of time with him and so he while he kept going north uh, he finished both the CDT and the GDT uh, before we finished up with the <laughs> CDT. And so then he he FaceTimed us when we finished and we were in the hotel like the night that we finished. And um, he couldn't stop talking about how awesome the GDT was. So that moved to the top of the list for us. But yeah, for not, sure. not this next summer, maybe in two or three years, but we have some plans to stay close to home. Um, and actually spend a summer in Washington. We miss our friends. We miss Washington. Yeah, it it sounded like an epic experience, adventure for him. Yeah. Yeah, because once uh, he hiked with a a group for a while into Colorado, but then they kind of parted ways. And then the whole rest of the trip, he was essentially on his own, which is like incredible. Like that takes huge mental fortitude um, and I know it was really challenging just being alone for that long yeah now, did you guys end up on each of the trails were you guys pretty much the unit moving kind of through different bubbles or did you connect up with other groups and form any sort of trail families or anything like that 
On the PCT, we were alone until just before the halfway point when we started hiking with our friend Eric or Ricky Bobby. And we are still friends with him. We do lots of things together. He supported us pretty much the entire AT. And we also hiked the first part of the CDT together by, by design. We planned to do that. Uh, and so he was kind of our trail family on the PCT. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a family. Like we, we would float in and out of groups mostly because we had our own sort of itinerary and didn't really latch on to that the need to do that, like, you know, being with another person, I think was what sort of facilitated that. We're like, Hey, like we're fine by ourselves. Like we don't necessarily need to be with these other people, especially without, without there being dangerous conditions to hike through. Like it, there was just less of a need. Like everyone was kind of, you know, going off and doing their own things. Like people, you know, road trip to Vegas or LA or, you know, wherever, <laughs> like along the trail and it just seemed like a giant vacation for everyone. So it was like, why should we attach ourselves to other people that have different sorts of plans? Because, you know, they could drop us <laughs> fairly quickly or like if they're hit, like, Hey, we want to go do this. And we're like, eh, yeah, at some point there'd be like that moment of potential conflict. And we're like, yeah, we'll just kind of do our own thing. On the AT, we were hiking way too quickly to really group up with anyone. And we started really late in the season as well. So when we started the AT, it was the middle of June at the South end, which is late to start it. Um, So we weren't really around anyone. And then we just kept hiking really quickly and didn't really match anyone's pace. Yeah. We didn't really, the longest we hiked with anyone was two days days. on the AT. And it was another couple and we actually connected pretty quickly with them and um, are still in contact. And then they actually came out um, and saw us while we were on the CDT. Because um, they live in Colorado. Yeah, but I don't know, just trail connections in general tend to be deeper and happen more quickly than in standard life. But yeah, we didn't really form like a, a family unit on the AT. Mm-hmm. And then the CDT was very different yeah. it was, you know the cdt is known as like this lonely desolate trail but it was the most social trail out of all three in my opinion i think so too for us we just had a huge bubble of people around us who started at around the same time and we're it seems like everyone on the cdt not everyone but a lot of people on the cdt have done another through hike before so they know what to expect they're starting off hiking mid 20 to 30 mile days. And so you just sort of stick around with people because everyone's kind of hiking the same pace. So we stuck around a ton of people on the CDT until we hit Colorado. Coming south (laughs) or or both north and south. But yeah. Um, So yeah, I'd say we consistently had a group of four or five people besides ourselves and then that would fluctuate like one person would drop off and someone else would kind of join in but so ricky bobby that we mentioned we hiked all of new mexico and then pretty much all of montana going south and we went off and did the two-week road trip with him 
but then um, he did Wyoming and Colorado with another hiker. They were just moving more quickly than we wanted to move. Mm-hmm. And then a hiker named Aladdin um, that lives in Portland, we had met him in Silver City, New Mexico, and hiked most of New Mexico with him going north. And he was with Peanut um, continuing into Colorado when we did our road trip. So um, we did our road trip, came back, and then we're on our way to Denver to go fly out to the AT. And we we're driving through Leadville, Colorado. And he just happened to be in Leadville. And so we met up with him at this pizza place and we chatted and he asked what we were doing and he asked what he was doing. So we told him like, we're going to go finish the AT and then flip up to Glacier and hike South. And like in that moment, he decided that that's what he was going to do. So like (laughs) right there, right there in Ludville, like he quit his northbound journey, went home to Portland for a couple of weeks while we were on the East coast. And then he took the train to Glacier we picked him up and we all started hiking south together and we hiked with him all the way to the border of Wyoming and Colorado. And then we had to take a couple of days off for injury prevention and he kept going. But, um, so we hiked a, a huge portion of the trail with Aladdin. So. It's really fascinating. The friendships you make on these trails, it's a social scenario. Unlike any I have ever encountered in any other arena of life you just develop really strong and emotional connections with people over a very short amount of time and it's really incredible and special are are these people that you've ricky bobby is obviously one of them but but that you've kept in contact with off the trail and yeah absolutely (laughs) we we hang out with aladdin every couple of weekends and yeah we just we hiked the Lewitt trail around mount st helens uh, a couple weeks ago with him peanuts coming down in i think january or february to come ski with us like we absolutely keep these connections they're some of the most close friendships i've ever been able to make how did you guys get your trail names (laughs) (laughs) You can go first. Well, you got yours first. Okay. You should go first. So, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a fairly reserved person. Which you couldn't tell. <laughs> I can talk about hiking all day long, but um, like in, in larger groups, I'm fairly reserved. And starting out the PCT, like, you know, there's still a fair amount of people, you know, kind of in a bubble that move with you daily. And I, like I mentioned, I didn't feel that I was like physically like exerting myself to the point of exhaustion on a daily basis. So like if we'd stop for a water break, I'd set my pack down and everyone's like huddled in this tiny little piece of shade and I'm like off exploring or, you know, people are stopped at the stream and I'm like fishing on the stream. So I was always like wandering around. And so anyway, I also wore this sort of uh, sun hat that had like a neck sort of gator protection thing built in and someone that we had been hiking around said all you need is a camel and you'd be a desert nomad (laughs) and so then everyone started calling me nomad it just kind of stuck and it's pretty indicative of of just who I am and like having a hard time sitting still and always off looking to see what's over the next corner around the next corner and 
Um, so yeah, Nomad stuck for me. How early on the trail was that? Um, that was like the day before Big Bear. So maybe like two, almost 300 miles in. So a couple weeks probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I'm called Rattles and we were hiking. It was just after Cajon Pass, which is a really iconic place on the PCT because it has a McDonald's essentially right on the trail. So people will have these contests to see how many calories they consume, can consume at McDonald's, which is another story. <laughs> but, um, so I was complaining at this McDonald's that Nomad had gotten his trail name and I didn't have a trail name yet. And I was really sad about it. And the next day we hiked out and we were hiking around this 60 year old or so guy named Paparazzi. And he comes up to me and he says, Becca, you know, I was thinking about what you said the other day and I was trying to rack my brain for what I, what trail name I could give you. And I came up with a really good option. I said, Oh, what's that? And he says, well, you're really chatty. You like to talk a lot. In fact, you tend to rattle on and on. So <laughs> I thought I'd call you rattles. And then he handed me the severed rattle of a rattlesnake. So that's, <laughs> from from roadkill. From from roadkill. Not that he wrestled. Yeah, he did not <laughs> wrestle a rattlesnake. He just cut it off of a piece of little poor little roadkill snake. So so he was prepared for the for the honorary naming ceremony. Yeah, it was a whole, oh, yeah. it was a whole thing. It, it was a whole thing. And talking about rattlesnakes, you have some great photos of at least from the CDT of snakes of rattlesnakes. You like ready oh, to yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple. So there was there was one specific event that in my mind at least we were actually hiking with peanut the first day the first day that we were hiking with peanut and we were walking along and we had kind of gotten a little bit lost not lost we knew where we were but we were we, not on trail we were always lost on the cdt yeah that's just <laughs> the nature of the cdt is that you're like oh well i mean i'm headed north so that seems right <laughs> but uh so we we were not on the red line we were kind of moseying through the desert trying to figure out where we were supposed to go and peanut and i were walking along chatting with each other not really paying attention to what was around us and suddenly we hear this rattle and peanut screams this high-pitched scream <laughs> jumps 10 feet into the air and i follow suit and the, he was probably he stepped his there was a footprint of his footfall and he had stepped i don't know three inches away from the head of the rattlesnake before he leaped away. Yeah. And that one was pretty yeah, upset. That one went into immediate strike mode. And I think that's probably the better of the pictures that I have from snakes. But And then of course we all started snapping pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily they just get defensive and, and don't chase you. So. Yeah. Right. But. It, it was striking a pose. Yeah. yeah. And then we saw another one on a road walk that we were on, and it was kind of dusk. We found that they tend to come out around dusk, which is interesting. And it, we weren't even that close to it, but it got really defensive. And we got some really good video of that one. 
Did it actually like good into a striking position or did it just stay curled and was rattling at you? Oh, it got into a striking position. Okay. It was very upset that we were, we were nearby. Yeah. But yeah, you, you have encounters like that and then you're like very aware for a half a day or a day <laughs> and then you're like, ah, you know, I'm it's okay. fine. And then, you know, something else happens, but I, I probably encountered half a dozen rattlesnakes directly in the middle of the trail and not always did they react so violently, but most of the time they just give a, a short little rattle and keep slithering away. So yeah. what was your response other than rattles and peanut jumping in the air and, and stepping back or leaping back, I should say. What is your general response? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's cool to have those sorts of encounters and it makes you aware that like there are dangerous aspects of what you're doing and just to be aware and be smart. And they were far enough ahead. Like earlier, I mentioned that she's one of the fastest hikers I know. Well, Peanut is the other fastest hiker that I know. So they were probably 40 feet ahead of me and they came running back towards me. So I didn't have like that same thrilling moment, but I like <laughs> saw the aftermath of it. And I don't know, like I've, I had a couple of experiences like that. Um, also in Glacier with a grizzly, like I was in the back of the group and it was, I don't remember who was in front, but it was like Aladdin, Rattles and Ricky Bobby were ahead of me. And I, as part of my name, Nomad, like was wandering around taking photos of something or something, but I come up on them and they all have their bear spray out. And I'm just like casually, you know, coming up <laughs> to where they are. Hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, hearts are beating and they're is at a switchback and maybe 40 or 50 feet. Like if you continued on the hillside off of the switchback, there was this grizzly just there digging in the dirt, eating roots and whatever. And for me, it was like an awesome photo opportunity. And for them, they were like in full defensive mode. So I guess it pays to be in the back. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's really, yeah. yeah. It's really fun to have these wildlife encounters though, because I don't think you really have that many opportunities for these kinds of wildlife encounters when you're not out in the woods for a really long period of time. Yeah. And you have to get so far away from civilization too. Yeah. When we first entered Colorado, it was, I don't know, the first week of hunting season or something like that. Going south. Going south. When we first entered Colorado, heading south, it was the first week of hunting season. And there there were probably hundreds of hunters out there walking the CDT in the same area. And I just was telling Nomad that, you know, I think that we encounter more wildlife or more elk in a single week of walking somewhere in the backcountry than any of these hunters ever do in their entire week of wandering around in a place where so many other hunters are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Being out there during hunting season, did it make you want to put on a bright orange vest and say, I am not a target? Um, I had a bright orange Houdini. So that was a fortunate coincidence um, but I, I never felt like oh man I'm about to get shot like a lot of them were bow hunters while I would never want to be shot by an arrow it would potentially be better than a bullet so I don't know 
Yeah. But <laughs> glass half full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was wearing green and black, so I blended right into the forest, I guess, but it didn't really concern me because I don't know. Hopefully hunters are conscious enough to be aware of their surroundings and be aware of what their target is. And I never felt threatened at any point. No. But they're all very friendly. Yeah. Everyone. Super friendly. They uh, provide a little uh, trail magic for you? Not really. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, <laughs> they were all like away from their camps and mm-hmm. just had, you know, right. their day gear with them. And there were actually, there were some, I think they were turkey hunters that we encountered. Oh, that was really they cool. They offered to fill up our water bottles and it was like in a pretty um, long waterless stretch. So that was really fortunate. Yeah, that um, counts. So yeah, like Absolutely. they filled up our water bottles and they, they had some like Oreos or something. They gave yeah. us some cookies. But um, those are the only hunters that I remember getting help from. Yeah. But they provided trail magic in the sense that they sat and chatted with us and asked about what we were doing and told us what they were doing. And I'm a really social human. And so that is, that's really nice for me to have those kinds of social interactions. Knowing now or understanding now your trail names, you guys are on each side of the spectrum. Oh yeah. We, we are the, we are the definition of opposites attract. So (laughs) we're pretty much opposite in everything. And yet somehow meet in the middle to do these things successfully. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, I think the common denominator is that we're both very stubborn people. (laughs) And um, we, you know, once we commit to something like we're going to see it through and, you know, like, having a bad day isn't going to make us leave the trail. Like the only way we would leave the trail is if we physically couldn't do it anymore. And um, like in a way I'm, I'm glad that we had that experience on the AT of of falling short of what our goal was. And, you know, you could say that it was, I know there's been a lot of talk lately about like failures on, on hikes and you can see it as, you know, failing an event, like failing a task or being a failure. And I think that it's possible to fail a task, but still come out ahead and like learn something from it and, and just be better um, in the hiking sense. You know, injuries are, are not like you can do some work to prevent it, but ultimately that's kind of just a roll of the dice and what what you have to deal with when the trail throws it at you. So I guess you hear the trail provides a lot, but you don't always hear the trail takes away. (laughs) The trail can be fickle. Yeah. Fickle, fickle lady. I also think another reason we're so successful is because even though we're, well, because we're opposites in these things, we really balance each other out. And so tasks that I don't like to do, Ty does like to do and vice versa. So we definitely are able to help lift each other's burdens and lift each other up. Yeah. I, I always joke that it would have taken me so much longer to hike any of these trails if I wasn't hiking with her because I'm not a morning person. And like, she's like, all right, let's go. You know, we have 10 minutes to pack (laughs) up. And like, you know, I would take like 30 minutes to pack up if it were just me. 
So yeah, having having someone there with you that's not only you know prodding you along or you know is kind of there's motivation. Um, it's also for me at least, um, I see it as like okay, if I'm having a bad day, sure, but like I can't quit because she is so invested in this too. And so I think that adds to the motivation factor and just, I guess, makes makes us even more stubborn because you're not only stubborn for yourself, but you're stubborn because you don't want to let the other person down too. Yeah. You know, there are days like that, but most of the days are awesome. Yeah. We like doing it together. Did you guys ever sleep in separate camps? Meaning like, Becca, you got far, far ahead. Ty didn't meet up with you, so you cowboy camped or he cowboy camped or anything like that? Or did you always meet up at the end of the day? We always met up at the end of the day because we usually had a plan, but there were a couple of close calls when we didn't think that that was going to happen. Yeah, one one happened on the CDT, which was probably the closest to that happening. So I carried an in-reach mini um, for the CDT. and there were two other people in our little group that we were hiking with that had them also. So she was ahead. I had dropped behind. I ended up getting off at this wrong intersection of some, you know, like random road, barely visible (laughs) road. And so I was behind and they had messaged me saying that they were going to look for camp at this one river, but the river had like, five different forks <laughs> to it and they're all named the same and so That's I brilliant. was looking ahead on gut hook and I was like okay cool like I only have like two more miles to catch them but in actuality it was, like, it was something like five it was like five or maybe even more <laughs> than that so when I got to the two miles I was like okay this isn't it and I was like oh there's another one got to that one that wasn't <laughs> another one that wasn't it so anyway I ended up rolling in after dark and and I was set up to cowboy she, camp. Uh, she was all set up to cowboy camp, and I was like, they were surprised to see me, but it wasn't that late. It was maybe like eight thirty or so. But mm-hmm. but we planned for that. I think that we each have independent enough setups that we could both camp by ourselves if we had to, or even if we ever wanted to at some point. Yeah. Right. Did you also carry any sort of in reach or anything like that, Becca? Nah. <laughs> I just am not that concerned about it. She didn't even take her cell phone on the PCT. I did not. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, it was a step up for her to even have a cell phone with her, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. It just seems like another thing that it can is going to take me away from the experience of being fully invested in my through hike. I'd yeah, like to cut that. all of that out of out of my life. No, I was just gonna say this is coming from a person that like doesn't do social media and all that too. So that's true. I just started an Instagram account for the CDT, which was definitely out of my comfort zone. Yeah, I I tend to have a sort of a love hate relationship with with social media. Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say. So you guys, when when you were telling the story. Tyler, I was kind of thinking that, you know, some of the stress level of, of you guys being separated like that 
could be alleviated because of the fact that because of the inreach and whatever, you could communicate back and forth. So you knew where each other was, each other were versus somebody's not there and you just don't know where they are or how far behind you they are or, you know, all of that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a little stressful, but also I trust him and I know he's capable and I know that he's a really strong hiker. And so even though I love him and I want him to be safe, I don't worry about it too much because you know, worst comes to worst, I'll cowboy camp and wait in camp the next morning until he shows up. And if he doesn't, then I'll hike into town, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think maybe like subconsciously a reason for me, like liking hiking in the back or towards the back of the group is just like kind of keeping everyone accounted for. And like, I don't worry about myself. I know what I'm capable of and I can, you know, survive the night or however long by myself. But I I start to get worried and I start to have that fear like, oh, no, like, did she take this wrong turn? And now I'm ahead of her and she doesn't know I'm ahead of her. Um, there are some moments like that, but they're pretty rare. Yeah. Um, I think that happened once on the AT. There was this split and it was like dusk. <laughs> and <laughs> all of a sudden I like hear something behind me and I see this headlamp coming up from behind me. And she caught me because she's fast. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> she's like, oh, I took that other turn. So, you know, like, you never know. There could be a seemingly easy intersection, especially on the AT that, you know, doesn't doesn't work out or something. But um, I guess it could happen. Uh, no, for whatever reason, it just doesn't worry the, me, worry me that much. I love your, your worry-less-ness about it. Oh, thanks. I feel like it's a little bit irresponsible. (laughs) It's such a fine line. It worked out, yeah. But, but I, you know, obviously the only conversation we've had, we've had is this conversation. And, but, you know, I know a lot of women, stuff like that would stress them out. Um, and it's nice to hear that that is not the case for you. Yeah, no, I am a capable human and I really think that it's important for me to go into these through hikes while I'm hiking with a partner and I want to support my partner and I want to be, I want my partner to support me. I also really value my independence. And for me, it's really, really important to know that I can hike by myself that I could get out of a sticky situation by myself and that I could get myself to safety by myself. And that's something that I hold in really high, high value. Has there been a time on trail where you have felt unsafe or, or very fearful? Uh, no, not that I can recall. Not independently. We've, together kind of a sketchy hitch um into a town in northern california um called etna and we had been waiting and like being in a couple like hitchhiking comes very easily um and we never have to ever wait that long luckily but this one was like taking more than twice as long as we normally waited 
we were with Ricky Bobby too. So there were three of us trying to get a hitch in this like remote mountain road and this truck, we see this truck coming up the pass and we're like, okay, like here's our shot. And so anyway, they, uh, we got him to pull over, but you could tell that the whole back bed of the truck was full of beer bottles and it was like questionable on <laughs> their soberness was questionable and we're like, well, do we like let this go? Do we, you know, what, what do we do? Cause we've been waiting for like hours, you know, this might be our only shot. And so we ended up taking the ride and we're alive, but that, that was one of those moments where like your judgment was mm-hmm. very, very close to going the other way and saying, no, we're better off. Yeah, they, something else. they had a box of wine. So I rode in the cab and the boys rode in the bed of the truck. But there was a box of wine and they were passing a, a cup of wine back and forth to each other while they were driving down this windy it's mountain road. Very, very windy. <laughs> so I guess the windiness made them slow down a lot, but it was I mean, definitely a questionable hitch. So, yeah, back to your question. I never have felt on my own in a situation where I was fearful or that I couldn't get myself out of it. But there are a couple of situations like the one that hitch was sketchy where I felt a little unsafe. And then there was a moment when we were hiking the PCT, we were hiking in this area around San Jacinto and the locals had told us that the weather report was bad, but it was probably fine that these things never panned out and that we should go ahead and continue on. So we decided to do that. And it ended up being a full on snow and hail storm so much so that the, the, the water was freezing to the branches of the trees and the trees are sort of bowing down over the trail because of the weight of the ice on the trees. And it was, hailing, bleeding, snowing is very cold up on top of this ridge called Fuller Ridge. And we were woefully unprepared because we were used to having desert conditions. And so we just didn't have the warm layers that we needed because we were expecting to be in the desert. Um, And it was our first through hike. So we didn't know. And so we were both (laughs) very, very cold. And probably hypothermic we ended up getting down safely and it was totally fine Um, but there was another group that had to call search and rescue uh, who we passed and search and rescue came up to this area where we had camped kind of like knocked on our tent and said hey are you guys okay and we said yeah we're totally fine because at that point we were totally fine we're safe and warm and had dry clothes in our in our tent but there apparently were two or three other groups that had to be rescued off of the mountain that night. So that's maybe the most unsafe I've ever yeah, felt. I would say most of my personal memories of feeling unsafe are, are weather related <laughs> more yeah. so than encounters with people. Yeah. Lightning on a ridge or yeah. something. To change things up on you for a second, there was, there was one story from the AT uh, Tyler that, well, it just tickled me. The, the one-sided pissing contest? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that was a funny one. Oh, I, I think... It was evil yeah, in the best I, way possible. It was. I don't remember this story. 
I do. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think to kind of set the stage, um, there were a lot of naysayers for our AT hike. And even from ahead of time, like telling people that we were starting in mid-June in Georgia, people are like, you're crazy, you need to be going south, to physically being at the ranger station at Amakaloa Falls and them saying you're not going to make it like you're like you're way too late this isn't going to happen and there was just a lot of naysaying going on and I knew we knew our abilities and like kind of just pushed all that to the side so like this naysaying had been building up and I can't remember which state this happened in I want to say maybe in Virginia or somewhere you know a ways a ways in but yeah, we were in this one town and, um, you know, we'd be friendly to hikers, even though we didn't really have any sort of close relationships. So we were walking to the post office. There was this little cafe that, with uh, patio seating. I, I remember the story I, now. Okay. <laughs> I waved to, you know, a hiker and he just like looks right through me. He doesn't have headphones in. He doesn't say anything. And I thought it was weird. And so I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And so we go and get our package pack up and we're, we hike out well as you have to walk through this town and we're in this residential area and we get to the trailhead and we are taking layers off or something and so this group of i think there are three of them um three hikers one of them being this one that i'd passed on the sidewalk we're hiking and Oh, I had stopped and Rattles was ahead. So they, she was ahead and then it was this group of three and then me. And so I was hiking and I'm, you know, when it comes to hiking, I'm not that competitive of a person, but you know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Like there's no need to show who's better or worse or whatever. But this like whole interaction kind of set me <laughs> in the wrong direction. <laughs> and just like, I guess the general resentment from people saying, they doubted us and all that. But anyway, so I, I come up on them and, you know, as standard trail etiquette would go, like you hear people coming behind you or someone says something, you would move over. Um, but they were just refusing to move over and like insisted on pushing themselves faster and faster and faster, seemingly intentionally to stay ahead of me. And I hadn't even exchanged a word you know with, with these people and so I was like what is going on like why are they being so like why are they being this way eventually I asked the one in the back if I could pass and he was like out of breath and like didn't even really move over and I just went around him and then now there were two of them and so then I started playing like head games with them I would like get right up on the back of them so they they knew I was there. There's no way they could not know I was there. And they would push themselves faster and I would just back off. And then I would catch up and I'd like push up against them. And then they'd push themselves faster. And then mind you, like this is on a climb. So they're, now they're like really huffing and puffing. And like I was winded, but I like I could do more. And I was want, le legitimately wanting to pass them. And so finally the the one that had ignored me on the sidewalk I said something to the effect of whenever you're done, we can just end this because I could do this all day, you know? <laughs> and so then he's like, fine, I needed a water break anyway. So then he pulls over and the other guy with him pulls over and they just give me this like death stare. And I just kept walking and 
didn't ever see them again. But yeah, it's, it's weird to think that there would be such an interaction with fellow hikers and such I, unprovoked animosity. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I doubt they knew who we were or what we were doing. And so I don't know where that stemmed from. But anyway, interesting encounter. You left out the clacking pole thing. Oh, yeah. The poles. Yeah, that was part of my notification. That I, was, I was close behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah, like I'm a very non-confrontational person. And so like, I was literally doing everything I could to let them know that I was there without before like saying, Hey, like I'm here. You were like clacking them on rocks so they could hear you approaching. Yeah. Anyway. Just another version of trail <laughs> games. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. What is what is the luxury items that you guys carry with you on the trail trails? That's a weird thing. I was asked that the first week. There was this other girl who we were hiking around and she was like, hey, what's your luxury item? And I didn't really know what that term meant. I hadn't heard it before. And I said, well, what do you mean? What's your luxury item? And she said, mine is glitter. And I said, oh, that's great for you. I don't really have anything like that. So I don't know. I don't know if I carry a luxury item. I, I just carry what I need and I, what I'm comfortable with. I can assign one for you. Oh, what is it? I, I would say she carries a lot of clothes, like not an excessive amount, but more than like your average minimalist. Well, just because I need them because yeah, I'm cold. It's cold. So like in her mind, it's a necessity, but I think other people mm-hmm. may view that as a luxury to have, you know, multiple layers. Um, I absolutely have luxury items i carry like a little fly fishing rod i carried it for parts of the cdt i carried it for the entire pct and i didn't carry it on the at though and then a camera i i carried uh like a sony mirrorless like more compact camera for the um pct i just took my phone for the at because the camera is too heavy and then i took a, a little bit nicer um, full frame mirrorless camera uh, for the CDT. And then my other one would be a pillow, I guess. So the AT, my base weight was somewhere around seven pounds, but I had a pillow that weighed nine ounces. And it was, it was a combination like inflatable, also foam pillow. But my justification was like, we're hiking 30 miles a day. Like if I don't sleep well, I can't continue to hike 30 miles a day. So this is like the most comfortable pillow that I have ever felt. And I felt justified bringing it. So that's what I brought. (laughs) It's funny that you say that because I think in a lot of cases, like that luxury item is, is what gives you comfort. It helps you sleep or it gives you a connection to something or um, it makes you happy. And yeah. what makes us happy helps us helps us hike. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was listening to so I I discovered your podcast on C D T and had been listening to various hikers and interviews along the way. But um just this last week I listened to uh your interview with Crunchmaster and we we met him on the PCT in twenty fifteen and I was listening to how he just like has 
and like an eighth inch foam pad for his hips, not even like a full <laughs> sleeping pad. And I was like, that is not me. Like I'll do torso length, but I do inflatable. And then I, a pillow is pretty critical for me. Um, if it helps you sleep, that's important. Sleep and food are the most important things to help you have a successful through hike, I think. Well, it's it's funny that you say that because I remember my conversation with Songbird where she talked about, you know, she was going to do the whole stoveless thing and, and all that kind of stuff. And then decided shortly after she started that having coffee, warm coffee in the morning was more important than having underwear. Yeah. <laughs> so she made that, tr- she made that switch. I would absolutely agree <laughs> that food is more important than underwear or any other, other thing that you carry. Like I could sleep for a night on the ground without anything and be fine if I had food to eat, but I couldn't hike for a day without any food. What are, what is the sleep systems that you guys have evolved to at this point? So I carry a, an enlightened equipment quilt and sometimes I've carried a pillow. Sometimes I've not carried a pillow, a little inflatable sea to summit pillow that I like. And then I carry a three quarters length inflatable thermarest. And that's it. The excellent. And what about you, Tyler? The um, I, I switched it up. Um, I had been carrying the short length x pad for both the PCT and the AT. And then I carried the Nemo Tensor um, insulated pad, but the same short torso length. I carried that for the CDT and then I um, had the, I can't think of the model right now, but Thermarest came out with quilts this last year. I had the 20 degree version of that um, for the CDT and then the inlined equipment one she had been using was 20 degrees as well. And then I used the big Agnes, it was a big Agnes pillow that I used. I think it was, gosh, <laughs> I can't think of it. It's red. Anyway, it's very comfortable. What were you guys doing for tent? Um, for we've gone through a couple. Yeah, the PCT we had a, a duplex, Z-Pax duplex. That is a pain in the butt to set up in the wind, and it was actually <laughs> our biggest argument. Our biggest <laughs> argument that we had on trail was about setting up the tent. Yeah. So we decided, I mean, we would, (laughs) (laughs) we would always argue about it. The duplex was incredibly frustrating to set up and we usually set it up as a team because it's easier to have two people to set the tent up, but it wasn't very successful for us because it's a freestanding tent. It was always, you know, me saying, for Ty to do it one way and him saying for me to do it another way. And we both just get frustrated and annoyed. And it was always though, while it was windy because you'd have like, you just develop routines and like, you know, that like, Oh, I put in the stake of this door and the right corner and this tensioner and she does those. And so like, we had it down to like a system, but as soon as one of those little, cogs gets out of place because it's taking longer to put the stake in or there's a rock right there so you can't stake it right there and you have to hurry up and put the stake in why is this taking so long (laughs) this whole process just gets thrown off balance and like i'm 
I think it'd almost be easier to set up that tent by yourself than with another person. I don't know why we didn't do that. <laughs> we were telling the story to someone we were hiking with and they were like, well, why didn't one of you just set up the tent while the other one started dinner? And we're like, I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but So anyway, that leads into our decision for the AT and actually some other friends that had hiked um, recommended a freestanding tent um, for the AT just because how rocky the ground is. So we ended up taking the big Agnes tiger wall, uh, two person, and then, um, you know, not the widest, but easy to set up and pretty spacious, almost as spacious as the duplex inside. So then we decided to take that for the CBT also, because we knew we were going to be in really exposed areas and wanted that added structure of a pole system instead of just the trekking poles. And there was one spot where we're in this group of like eight people and they all had like non-freestanding tents of various companies from various companies and every single one of them had to get out in the night to adjust their (laughs) their tensioners and we just like were laying there laughing in the morning we were like hey how'd you guys sleep we slept great (laughs) so sometimes the added weight pays off but anyway that's what we decided to take so Um, you have a little bit of evil in you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Recently, we've been looking into some other non-freestanding freestanding tent options that are a little bit lighter weight, mostly because we knew that we just trashed the big Agnes tent for these three hikes, and then we could invest in another one for our next hike. So yeah. what, what kind of ones are you looking at? I don't know. She. <laughs> I want a tarp. She wants a tarp. I want just oh. a flat tarp, a DCS flat top or flat tarp. And without any bug that, that wouldn't bother me at all. But Ty is more interested in having a bug net. I like a little <laughs> more protection when I sleep. I don't know. Our our friend Aladdin, he ditched one of his Z-Pax tents that he had for the CDT and got one from Six Moon Designs that is a tarp but also has like a built-in net, but then it doesn't have a floor. Mm-hmm. So the net just kind of like drapes to the ground and like closes off. And then you put some sort of ground sheet over the, the hole. And then, you know, it's more protected than just a standard tarp. But my concern with that is just like single wall being silic- silicone coated nylon. It's like the condensation factor. And then, Eventually, still nylon is going to leak or, you know, lose a stretch. Yeah, stretch. That's my biggest dislike of it is just when it gets wet, it stretches. And so your, you know, your fly isn't as taut as it was when you pitched it. Um, I don't know. I'm not convinced on what's next. I'm definitely open to (laughs) discussion, but I I would like to see something more innovative and tense. I just don't know that designs have changed that much in the last, you know, four or five years. seems like a lot of people are kind of copying each other and doing the same sorts of things. Do you have design ideas? Not really. She <laughs> she is an extremely talented seamstress sewer person. Um, she's made her own gear. She made her, her own pack for the AT. Um, so it's, it's not, out of the question that she would potentially make something for us. Yeah. We just have to sit down and design, design it and decide 
what to do because like I said, I just want like a tarp. <laughs> I'm fine with that, but we need to compromise on something that we're both comfortable in. So yeah. I don't know, on certain trips I, I could do a tarp. Ooh. The desert you can do a tarp. Yeah. The mosquitoes that I don't like. How would you deal with the mosquitoes without some sort of net netting? I mean, I would just cuddle up in my quilt. Just have uh, it have it over my head all nestled up. We saw people that would just like do that but then just wear a, a head net like a bug head net and that way you're not going crazy if they are trying to land on your face that would be acceptable i guess i'm one of those lucky people who mosquitoes don't like so i never really have that much much of an issue with them anyways yeah so so you're you're speaking from the the perspective of not really having the issue essentially correct right <laughs> It's a great place to be. I was definitely speaking from the side of having mosquitoes love him. What has been your most or each of your most challenging or worst days on trail? San Jacinto was my most challenging and worst day. That is a day. So the story I told earlier about Mm -hmm. hypothermic conditions um, that is maybe the second worst day I've ever had on trail as far as just being uncomfortable and the very, very worst day that I've ever had on trail is when I fell in the Hoosick Notch and we decided that we needed to stop hiking the AT. Yeah, that, that was up there for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, just that would be a contender in the sense that like you are feeling capable you feel personally like okay to continue on like we had already booked our plane tickets home um, when that happened and we were only going to be on trail for like six more days and we were on schedule to finish which we were really proud of yeah so like we had at that point we are 68 days into our hike and we are going to be done on day 75. And then that all went out the window. And just for me, like we, she tried to keep hiking even after being injured. And I could just tell that it was like, just, she was just eating her up. And there was a moment, I don't even think we even said anything to each other. We just looked at each other and both started crying. And like, we just knew that it was over we just knew that like that attempt and like all of the emotion of all the naysayers and just physically exerting ourselves to like a breaking point almost like all that emotion just came like crashing down at once and that was a really rough day yeah that was hard in that moment in that realization that that it everything was going to change that all of the plans and and the things that you were so close to succeeding at kind of slipped away how long did it take you guys to to flip back around and say okay this is how we're going to finish it this is this is what we're going to do now i think it's been the day it was pretty quick yeah i think once 
I realized like, okay, I have this moment of, you know, devastation and I'm not the one that's injured. So I need to, for her sake, be supportive and not put any added pressure or make her feel bad for being the one that got injured. So I, I felt like I had to turn it around and like, okay, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back next summer. We had contemplated the CBT at, at that point, but it wasn't for sure. And we're like, you know, 245 miles, we can come in and knock it out in like, you know, a week or so. It's totally fine. And I just tried to like make it as positive as we could. And because we had booked the plane tickets, it was going to be cheaper for us to just like hang out for a week in Maine than it was to like change the flights. So we rented a car and like went to Acadia National Park and just went like car camping and, and, kind of like slowly transitioned more into um, everyday life yeah. and so I think that period of kind of not having to fully face what that meant and just a week to still like be out in nature but not you know on a strenuous through hike definitely helped with that. I think yeah we pretty quickly decided on a plan to finish the AT but I still think it was kind of an empty spot for me, at least in my subconscious, in my heart, that didn't get filled until we finished it this year. Yeah. And what was your best or most memorable moment on trail? Mm, I can think of a really specific moment on the PCT where we were walking along it had to have been in Oregon or Washington. I don't remember where it was exactly, but we kind of, I was hiking alone. I came around this corner and you could see this huge vista of Mount Adams, Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens all in just one shot. And I just started crying because I don't know. I, we were pretty close to the end at that point. It was really emotional and really strong feelings about completing this thing for the first time. That was really hard and doing it together with someone who I loved. And I just sort of waited there for a while and Ty came around the corner also just crying. And so we had been <laughs> walking separately but feeling the same feelings. And it was just this really happy and emotional time when we figured out we really loved through hiking, that it was really important to us. Yeah. I don't know. I think my having a hard time nailing it down to just like one experience, but it's the experiences that are on that list all have that sort of same common factor where it's been a moment where I'm just in this beautiful place, but it strikes deeper than just like the, the view itself. Um, there's like a, a deeper emotion from the CDT. I experienced this in Glacier National Park when we were hiking south. We had just started hiking south. We're in these incredible mountains there was like a bare grass, super bloom, wildflowers everywhere. And I just like had this realization, like this is the right decision. Like we made the right decision for us to flip and now go south. 
I'm in this beautiful place and it just like took on a deeper emotional like meaning. So I, I definitely had that in Glacier and then again in the San Juans in Colorado, mm-hmm. in Southern Colorado, because that is essentially why we changed our plans was because there was just too much snow there. And to finally at the end of our hike now be able to go through that area without these dangerous conditions was again sort of affirmation that, that like we made the right decision. And um, it just made me really grateful to be in that place. Do you ever feel like the trail, again, I'm giving the trail a personality, but do you ever feel like the trail is guiding you to where you need to be when you need to be there? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the trail has a personality. I mean, it just, it, it does have a personality. And I think that she takes you on this emotional roller coaster and, through walking and thinking and being alone, you're able to discover things about yourself that you need to discover in times that you need to discover it. I I can think of like three distinct examples of that all stemming around meeting people. And like, if we had done just one thing differently or been like five minutes later or, you know, decided to go on this other alternate, like we wouldn't have met that person. And that's how it was for like Peanut, meeting Peanut on that first town and then encountering Aladdin in Leadville when we were on our way to the East Coast, just like being in the same town randomly. It happened again when we were coming back south. We were in Salida, Colorado, and he was done at that point and he was going Aladdin. to Aladdin. He was going through to Denver on his way home and we happened, just randomly happened to stay at the same hostel and, you know, we got to catch up because we hadn't hiked Colorado with him. And then when we were in our last resupply town in Lake City, Ricky Bobby had just finished and was like four days ahead of us. And he had rented a car and came and drove to the town we were in and like took us to breakfast and took us back to the trail. Just like, you know, all these timings just seemed to work out in a way that almost can't be coincidental you know it's like mm-hmm. like too strange kismet i i could totally yeah. see one you know when something happens that screws up the the plan that you had in your head and you're cursing you know the universe you're cursing the trail you're cursing you know whatever and then because of the way that it's changed your trajectory something else happens have you ever gone back and been like oh okay Got it. Yeah, that actually, that happened for us with the AT. So us going back, us going back to Maine um, in the beginning of June, um, we found out that there, we had a trail friend from the PCT named Garbelly, which is an awesome trail name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, so that's Garbelly and his girlfriend, they were hiking the AT starting southbound, but there was too much snow on Mount Katahdin for them to start when they wanted to. So they ended up going to the border of New Hampshire and Maine and hiking Maine going north. And then they were going to flip back to the border and hike the rest of the trail south. So we found this out as we're planning our trip to go over to the East Coast. 
and they're like hey we're in this town and we were messaging back and forth and they're like hey like we're here where are you guys we're here where are you guys and so it just ended up that we caught them we ended up catching up to them and got to spend like three days hiking with them um at the beginning of their at trip and at the end of our at trip and it was like a really cool moment to kind of reconnect with garbelly but then also meet critter like we had never met her before and i feel like we formed a really close bond like just being together for those three days and like that would have never happened if we were just you know done with the at and, and moved on so yeah it's it's always about people man there's something really amazing about the people that you meet and the connection connections that you make on these these long trails i keep hearing that <laughs> there was actually a really well-made video that I forget what her trail name was. She's from New Zealand. Tip-tap? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes, I've seen it. I've shown it to people. Yeah. We're both like crying at the end of it. It was <laughs> <No>. so good. <laughs> that very accurately sums it up. And like I've I mentioned earlier, like for me, hiking like this over months and months was about the scenery. I learned from the PCT that it's so much more than that. And even more so on the CDT, having been around more people on a consistent basis, it's just like, wow, this is way more than than just pretty scenery. It's funny because I think that a lot of people think of the trail as being a beautiful walk in the woods. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the highlight of it, but it doesn't seem to be. No, it's not. It's it's the the it's friendships added, that you make. Yeah, that's for sure an added bonus. But I don't know, like I so I carried a camera and for the CDT I took like eight thousand photos and which is so many and just going through them I can attach a story to each one almost always involving another person. Those photos recall the memory but it's mm-hmm. the memory of the person, not necessarily the place. It's a, the picture becomes a touchstone for, yeah. for this other bigger thing. Absolutely. Is there anything that you guys feel like we should talk about that we haven't yet? Um, no, I just think that true hiking can be this like intimidating thing. And that even if someone like can't commit to, months and months on trail just like experiencing the trail in some form or another and involving the people in your life as much as you can is beneficial for everyone i always say that i think every single person on this planet should do a through hike because it's just it changes you as a human it changes so much about you and so much about the way that you see yourself so much about the way that you see relationships with other people. It changes everything for the better. And obviously like privilege is a thing. Mm -hmm. So not everyone can do a through hike, but I just think that it is such an amazing experience that I wish everyone were able to. How has the trail changed each of you guys? Um, So she mentioned the planning, the extensive planning that went into the PCT. That's 
to a T who I was before the PCT. Like I needed to have a plan for like how this was going to work out. I needed this scenario to be going through my head. Like, okay, here's option A, B, and C. Like that's just how I was. And the trail definitely brought me down a few notches in terms of going with the flow and just being open to plans changing and being adaptable and making the most of the situation you're in, even if it's not what you were anticipating or hoping for. Mm. I think that's, for me, the biggest thing is just learning to, to be adaptable. And for me, I think that through hiking has made me a more thoughtful and kind human. I think I'm just more thoughtful of the people around me and hopefully a kinder person to the people around me. Because of the, the different people that are on trail and that you meet, has it opened your eyes to the wondrous differences among us? Yeah, I That's kind of a hard question. I actually think, I think the people who are able to do through hikes are a very specific kind of person. I think that you have to have a certain amount of privilege and you also have to have a certain level of putting yourself out of your comfort zone and a certain level of adventure. But within that, there are so many different personalities and so many different people coming from all sorts of different walks of life and you get to embrace all of that. Pretty amazing. I remember, I think it was literally day one of the PCT at Lake Morena, which is where everyone goes because that's like your first reliable water source. And there were just dozens of tents set up and hikers sitting at picnic tables chatting and, you know, doing the whole introductory thing. And one young kid said he quit his job at McDonald's to come out and hike. And then there was this older guy that was, I think from Australia, that was some sort of like heart surgeon. And just the fact that like these two people were sitting together at a picnic table in the desert in California, like, you know, the trail is like such a leveling, a level playing field. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you do outside of that. You're all equal and level in the eyes of the trail and you're experiencing those same things the trail becomes a great equalizer absolutely speaking of that you know like in my conversation with peanut it was amazing to listen to him talk some of the most profound things i've ever heard came out of his mouth and i was just like wow wow yeah (laughs) yeah that's peanut (laughs) yeah the question that I was going to bring up earlier, I know you are, you know, delving into the experiences of others, but like, how is your preparation going? Slowly. Um, really? right now, <laughs> I'd say um, it's right not quite crunch time. Yeah, no, exactly. I do have a date, which is April 4th. Ooh, and nice. I, I, it's so funny because I guess I'm focusing on the physical over the, the gear stuff. You know, like I, in my head, I guess I, the mantra is I've listened to too many people going, yeah, I just threw it away, threw it together in two weeks and then I'm off. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, from a gear perspective, I guess that's kind of a little bit where my head is, you know, like I'll, I'll figure that stuff out and I can do that fairly quickly. 
it's really more about the physical for me. Yeah. Because I'm turning 50. And even if I have been athletic, I've not been athletic for the last couple of years, which is part of why this hike is so important to me for me. And so I've been really focusing on trying to get my body strong again, and lose yeah. the extra weight that I had been carrying around and you know, that type of stuff. I think that's a great plan. And it's a slow, slow process. Oh, yeah. Something great about the trail is that you're not really c- competing with anyone but yourself. So you don't have to hike more than you want to hike and you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. So <laughs> just, yeah, you know, yeah, that's comforting, actually. The desert is a good place to to start out and build physically to the point of, you know, preparing for the Sierras and those water carries will help you out and gain some strength. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you're right. The trail, the trail, you can be the most quote. I don't like this because I think every person can be prepared. You can be quote, the most unprepared person ever, but still be really successful in a through hike because the trail has a way of making you prepared for it very quickly. Well, a lot of people seem to say like the, the trail pre- will prepare you to hike the trail. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And while I believe that on, on a certain level in terms of the routines and that kind of stuff, I think I've, I've been too injured lately or let myself get too injured or, or whatever version you want to look at it to leave that part of it to chance. Mm. But like, that's something that you understand about your body. And like, you know, that you need to take that extra steps to do that, which I think, you know, first time through hikers, that's a huge part of your success is like quickly figuring out your body and like what works and what doesn't. So it's good if you already have like a baseline knowledge of where you're at and what sort of things that your body needs you need to do. Yeah. That that is definitely one one benefit I've had to being athletic for most of my life. Like I have a sense of my body and I have a sense a gauge of being in proper shape or condition versus not being. Mhm. Sure. Well, we'll have to say hi when you get to Washington. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. You have our number? In Washington. We um, do. So I do actually. We're in uh Gig Harbor, which is near okay. Tacoma. Um, so the closest access point to where we're at would either be like highway 410, right, uh, right by Mount Rainier or Snoqualmie pass. So give us a shout out. We'll, we'll do some trail magic for you. (laughs) Yeah. Love it. I I know I've had, uh, a number of people cause I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest. Um, and so I, I have some people up there. It's awesome. That's good. That's great. Support is so helpful on the trail. It's so appreciate appreciated. Yeah. It it's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now where can people find you if they wanna follow your continuing adventures and, and or ask you questions based on this episode? Well, I have one social media platform, which is <laughs> Instagram with the oh so original Insta handle of Rattles Hikes. Two S's, right? Rattles and hikes. Yep. Perfect. And then um, Instagram's probably best for me too. 
where I post most of my photos and writings, but um, mine is good man Tyler. I love these conversations. It's really I'm fun. I'm a little addicted to them. <laughs> oh, it's cool. It's been fun, like, listening to your interviews with, like, a bunch of other hikers that we've met over the years. And, yeah, it's cool to get a, an added perspective on their hikes, you know, more than what you see on the trail with them. So, yeah, it's been fun. It It is so amazing to me how large and yet how small the community really is because there's, you've probably noticed this in listening to the episodes, but there's so many times where I've had a a conversation with one person and then somebody else randomly, because there's not generally a connection between who I talk to, but they know each other, you know, from one or whatever. (laughs) It's, it's so wild. Yeah. I mean, I bet we, we know everyone by like, four degrees of separation or something. Yeah. <laughs> like we're all related. Yeah. I Yeah, we totally saw it. like Puff Puff and Akuna. Like we've mm-hmm. met both of them on, on trail too. But yeah, yeah, very cool. It's cool what you're doing. I am having a blast. Uh, so, <laughs> nice. so the challenge is figuring out how to do it from trail. But anyway. I was going to ask you if you were going to continue doing this. You'll have to pre-record episodes and post them. As you go. But you'll have so many people to choose from. Yeah. I know. The The challenge isn't the recording of the episode. The challenge is the editing of the episode. Honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, it usually takes three to four times as long to edit it as it does to record it. Oh, wow. Whew. This is a two-hour conversation. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is par for the course. Like, these my conversations seem to run long. I'm I'm I just I love listening to the stories. I love listening to the to the recommendations. Um so um, I'm glad that you're talking to such a variety of people too who for anyone else who's listening and wanting to know about through hiking, there's so many varied opinions. And you know, they're all right opinions. So it's cool that you're kind of cataloging that in one place. It was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning who is never thought about doing a through hike. It was never, it's never been on her radar, except that she's now listening to the podcast because she's my friend and she's supporting. And we were talking today and she's, she literally said to me, she's like, yeah, you know, listen to these episodes. Like, I kind of want to do a through hike. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone who is able to do a through hike should do a through hike. Yeah. Just tell her if if she's ever thinking about it, she needs to just make the leap and do it. Yeah. Or I was telling her that at the very least she should, you know, come out and and visit me and hike a few days with me or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And see what it's like. Yeah, we've had a cool a few cool experiences like that where just like friends who are like either really skeptical about us doing this or you know what it entailed them going out. And then uh, spending a couple of days with us to kind of see what it's actually like used a lot of their mm-hmm. sort of fears or uncertainties about it. So it's a, a good way to bring them in and expose them to what you're doing. Yeah. And and give them a little expansion of their, of their universe. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. 
Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It was a fun conversation. I, like I said, I, I love all of these conversations. I could go on forever, but I know you guys probably have a life you need to get back to. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Hiking is our life. <laughs> Hiking really is our life. It's so funny. I always hear people, well, now that you're back in your real life, people always ask us, what, what are you doing now that you're back in your real life? And I just want to shake them and say, hiking is my real life. <laughs> oh. You're just a visitor on this side of things? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just waiting for my real life to roll around <laughs> again next summer. And links for Becca and Tyler's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Becca and Tyler for sharing their stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. I'm looking to set up conversations for future episodes in mid-February. So if you have through hiking adventures to share, I'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. I look forward to talking to all of you. I'll see you on the trail.